What's up, others that don't identify as one of those two words that uh, you're using? I want you to think of a, something in your own head when I say what's up. What's up, blank? Uh, thanks for joining us on UnkView. This is Few, of course, and I'm joined, as always, by my eponymously named Unk, Uncle Mike. What's up, man? What up, playa? This was uh this was a hot shot of espresso the start of this the of this pod today man I'm coming at you I'm coming at you with a lot of caffeine in my system you're all you're you're all spressed up I'm all sp- I'm spread uh, yo you spressing you spressing today <laughs> yeah you know Jimmy yeah, Jimmy he went off the deep end he was into that meth shit for a while he's into that meth shit then somebody <laughs> turned him on to Starbucks and that mofo getting into espresso. And I got to be straight with you, bitch. He's crazier now than he ever been before. And I just, you know, I don't know. That motherfucker be steezy beezies? Shit, dude. They's mainlining that stuff. That's whack-ass roastery. <laughs> roastery. Are you familiar with Theo Vaughn? Oh, yeah, I know Theo Vaughn, bro. Um, you ever met him? I've never met him, but I, I, he, every once in a while he's in Chicago or New York and I miss him. I, I have this magic where I miss every famous comic. Just, I come in just, I leave just before they arrive or I arrive just after they've left. That's like happened you, so many times. Like you show up at the club and you look out the window and there's Louis CK getting in a limo driving off. Yeah, that's, that's happened to me so many times. Or the or I'll show up and they'll be like, oh, dude, Louie was just here. And he was just talking about how, you know how that joke you do about like, you know, about like how you're, you can't get like, like late or whatever, because he was just talking about that. It's so funny. I wish he was here to see your set. <laughs> that, that that's happens. fantastic. That's happened to me so many times in Chicago. And in Chicago, it's always, uh, it's always Hannibal Burris. But in New York, it's like that happened with Theo Vaughn once, that happened with Louis once, that happened with uh, Chappelle a couple of times. Like, it just, it's, I, I always am, it's like the stars are never properly aligned for me. What a bummer. So I, I ask about Theo Vaughn just because uh, my knowledge of him goes back to, and I'm not even sure if you know this about him, but I think he, didn't he get his start on MTV's The Real World? What? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of that, but... And again, I could be manu- I could be making all this up because my memory has become literally that bad. I mean, it blows my mind how many things I'm forgetting now. But in any event, I seem to vaguely recall him being on The Real World, and I really liked him then. He's very likable. And then, and then he just fell off the radar completely for me. And then not that long ago, I mean, literally, we're talking within a year, maybe oh, yeah. even six months, I just stumbled back upon him. You know, in all his glory now in the stuff that he's doing. So I'm now, you know, following him on on every social platform. And I think he's hilarious. Like he's I'm sure he's really funny. Stuff. Yeah, he's so I'm funny. Sure, you know, he, what I love about him is just he, he he his humor reminds me kind of of our humor. Yeah. Like we like we like we just did, although what we just did wasn't funny at all. But it was the 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 <laughs> kind of the genre of of just random riffing on riffing things. shit, yeah, and just using different voices and inflections and characters and yeah, he was on MTV Road Rules Real World <clears throat> Challenge. That's fucking nuts from oh, 2006. That's that's crazy. Yeah, he, um, I was right. He, uh, 
he uh he did I keep I became aware of him when I saw his this is not happening uh uh set on um YouTube. You can check him out, Theo Vaughn, this is not happening. And what it's is that? so it's just a store so it's run by uh Ari Shafir and it's a show on Comedy Central, but more so online where it's comedians who get up and just tell true to life stories and they're not stand up sets they're just it's a storytelling show but they're told by comedians and you know by famous comics and Theo Vaughn's is about how he got just blasted uh on a bunch of fucking yayo uh in Harlem in New York uh with this cab driver of his that he had one night and it's just such a crazy story and the cab driver like picked up a prostitute and Theo Vaughn was driving the cab and the two of them were in the back of the cab and like it just Wow. It's just a story that just completely goes off the rails. And that's why Theo Vaughn's like, now I can't. This is why I don't do drugs anymore. And it I, it's I, he's just such a funny story. But it's exactly what you just said. He just he has a handful of small ticks that you're like, this is so funny. I, I've never heard anybody else do this on stage where he goes like, you know, a lot. Yeah, I was hanging out with my buddy, you know, and he was all up in the front seat, you know, like there's something about that that you feel he really like pulls you into the story, you know, that actually was a spot on impression of him that really was like the, your, your tone was perfect but yeah it's just funny how certain entertainers and certain comedians strike you somehow and you just end up really liking them for no reason other than the fact that you just really like them it's like a chemistry kind of an issue oh yeah and <clears throat> he's one of those guys for me that like it kind of doesn't matter what he's talking about i'll listen just because i just i enjoy his mannerisms his method of speaking i like the fact that he i think he's from louisiana you know he's got yeah. that, that cajun thing going on yeah i mean i'm sure you've seen he even has like simpsons style cartoons oh yeah which the dude is just hilarious yeah. he's uh, i really want to get to that level i was just talking with i was on the james altucher show recently and gonna be back again next week actually that's fantastic um, dude it's pretty cool yeah and uh he i was just talking with james about this i really want to get to the point where i'm I want that kind of thing. Like people tune into James's show because they want to hear him. People tune into Theo Vaughn because they want to hear Theo just talk about anything. Right. And uh, I, I'd love to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where you got, people are like, "Yeah, hey, I actually like this guy and his stuff." <laughs> well, and this is this is completely serious. Um, you know, over the years, ever since you got into comedy and. I, I think, in fact, I know we've told the story of how you got into comedy, but I, actually, I want to tell that story real quick because I just think it's a good story. But sure. the, the the shortest version of that story that I can tell is that I got into stand-up comedy because I just wanted to do it, had always wanted to do it, and uh, did it, and had what felt like an amazing amount of success right out of the gate. The very first performance I had was very successful. The owner of the of the comedy club where I did that, a guy named Mark Ridley, who owns a, a comedy club called Ridley's Comedy Castle, located in Royal Oak, Michigan. Basically, it's the only what I would call, you know, kind of a world class a comedy club in the state of Michigan. There are other comedy clubs, but that's the only one that, you know, where all of the real headlining, oh, yeah. um, you know, world famous comedians consistently play. So anyway. I, I had my coming out show. It was very successful. The owner of the club, Mark Ridley, approached me and said, hey, you know, you remind me a lot of he named some other comedian that he knew. And it's like, you know, are, are you serious about this? Would you really like to pursue this? And I'm like, hell yeah. 
And so long story short is um, I was asked to perform again the very next week to host a show. And I did that. And, you know, the rest of that part kind of doesn't matter. Now we skip ahead to me telling Brendan that he should get into comedy because I'd seen him perform improv. And I thought you were just brilliant at improv. You were just a natural. You're just really good at it. And I and just knowing you, I thought you'd be good at it. So I convinced Brendan to try it. He went through the process because in order to, to perform at that club that I just mentioned, Ridley's Comedy Club, you have to go through a actually a training class because they take it kind of seriously. And at that point, I had developed a friendship with the woman who ran that program. Her name was Gilda Hauser. Gilda and Hauser. I said, I said Gilda, what? The Queen Bee. Oh, yeah, I love Gilda. She's awesome. So I, I told Gilda about you, Brendan, and she's like, fantastic. Can't wait to meet him. So Brendan goes through the program, and at one point, kind of in the middle of it, she reached out to me and said, hey, Mike, you know, uh, you know, I know you got high hopes for your nephew. I just uh, want to let you well, know that ain't, I, he ain't funny as 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 as, as shit. <laughs> he, he's not he's not he's not as good as you led me to believe. And so my my response immediate no re, no hesitation whatsoever. I said, what here's what you have to understand about Brendan. He's one of these people who, uh, when the lights go on, he 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 has the ability to just perform. And so I hear what you're saying. I respect what you're saying, but I just believe that when he's out on that stage, he will be really, really good. And she's like, okay, you know, I trust you. I respect you, but I just wanted to give you a heads up because, <laughs> and at that point she'd asked me to be the host of the show that yeah. Brennan was going to be Brennan's inaugural performance. And so fast forward to that night and I was, I was the MC of the show and I introduced Brendan. He walks out and he he performs exactly as I predicted and was just phenomenal. And uh, after he walked off the stage, again, Mark Ridley approached him as he had approached me. The difference this time is that Ridley said, hey, Brendan, how'd you like to make a career out of comedy and pursue it like, you know, kind of full time kind of right now? And I will you know, I'm offering you a contract to work you know, to, I'll represent you. And what's really important to know about that story is that at that point, um, uh, Ridley only had one other comedian under contract. And you have to understand that there are, you know, a lot of people who are trying to make it in comedy, even in a, in a town like Detroit, oh, which yeah. isn't known for comedy, but there's still intense competition. And the fact that, you know, Ridley only had one guy under contract and that he was, he was offering Brendan that opportunity to me was mind blowing. And what it did for me was it basically wrecked my career instantly because I went from being, you know, kind of my own person in that realm to suddenly, oh, that's Brendan's uncle. You know, I was just an <laughs> afterthought. And that it kind of wrecked me psychologically, being very serious. But yeah. anyway, fast forwarding back to the point I'm trying to make. So many times over the years, because, you know, this that story goes back to what year was that? Ish. Uh, 2002, I think. That sounds about right. So Crazy. let's say it was like 18 years ago, man. Woo. Yeah, and, and at the time, Brennan was a junior in high school. So um, anyway, since that time, I've had many opportunities to see Brennan perform and, you know, it's to talk about comedy with various people that I know because, you know, because of this podcast and for a whole bunch of other reasons. And my description of you is always the same. And it is this. 
Brendan's one of those people that his material is not nearly as important as his uh, as personality, his presence. And he kind of just walks out on stage and just, you know, it just kind of doesn't matter what he does. He's just naturally funny. And <laughs> so that was a very, 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 very long winded way of saying I actually think, you know, what you said a minute ago about Theo Vaughn and like you want to be like Theo because people just listen to Theo because yeah, he's just love Theo. shit, man. I think you're a lot like that. I really do. I think that I think that you have that gift. And I well, think- man, I, I really appreciate that. I could I, I could go to uh, three open. I could go to crowds at three open mics last night who might disagree with you. <laughs> um, I was out grinding mics. I think it's funny, Uncle Mike, because I was on. Uh, I don't know if you know this. I was on that sh- that comedy uh, podcast. I was invited in Chicago called Nobody Likes You. <laughs> well, that's a nice name. Yeah, it's a it's a podcast where the the host Dale McPeak, who's a really funny dude, uh, and his producer James Webb, who's also very funny, invite on comedians that people in the Chicago comedy scene don't like or have beef with. And I got my name was one of the most requested names. And uh, it, but what's funny is that they also said they're like, not only were you one of the most requested names, but you also were one of the when we posted that you were coming on the show, you had one of the highest number of, of, of people who messaged us saying, why the hell is this guy on your show? Like, people, who doesn't like this guy? So it was really weird. Like, apparently, people really fuck with me, and then there's a group of people who just really don't fuck with me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's weird. Well, everything you've told me, and we probably shouldn't get off on this tangent because this probably would bore people, but um, I'm just reinforcing the, the point you just made. You know, over the years, you we've had lots of conversations about what it's like to do stand up comedy in Chicago, because, you know, for people who aren't into the entertainment world, I think most people even who aren't in entertainment know this. But just for the record, if you want to make it in entertainment and that absolutely includes comedy, you really have to pursue it in one of two places, L.A. or New York. And that's something that you and I have talked about for a very long time. You know, you you brought it up a bunch of times about how. Even in a city like Chicago, which is where Brendan lives, um, the Chicago uh, or the comedy scene pales in comparison to New York or L.A. Oh, and, yeah. you know, you've told me a bunch of stories about how you know, you've gone to you've gone to both New York and L.A. a number of times and just sort of shown up and, you know, done the kind of stuff that you do really well, which is, you know, create opportunities for yourself by just talking with people talking with club owners or whatever you walk around and, give a uh, lot of high fives doors open you know what i'm saying yeah well it <laughs> seems that way and it seems like you know it's almost like you're trying to you're trying to grow crops on pavement in chicago oh my god dude it's yeah somebody salted the earth out here it's yeah. uh it's just a really you know there's just not a lot of i mean we could we've talked about this before kind of but there's just there's not a ton of opportunity for making money out in chicago doing comedy there's just not there's no industry. It's just a smaller. I mean, you think about it. It's by, you know, it's it, New York's what, like 30 million people or something. Chicago's like three. So, I mean, it's it's crazy how many more people live in, you know, by an order of magnitude more in New York and, and L.A. is like similar. But um, I don't I, think I, you're I don't think those metrics you used are accurate. I think you're 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 not using really comparative stats. I think you're comparing like the the metropolitan New York population versus the city of Chicago. I think the metropolitan 
Chicago, you know, Chicago land area is bigger than three million, but whatever. You're right. Yeah. It's much bigger. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, but, but there's that, just, yeah, there's just a lot more stuff going on. Well, that leads into what, what I think you wanted to talk about quite nicely, which is how did you say it? I don't know how anybody makes any money doing anything. You know, it's funny because um, <laughs> that's actually not – I don't even think that's funny. I think it's true. I mean I really honestly think that there's a, there's a real kernel of truth there. And, um, you know, as, as we, we say most shows, we don't rehearse anything, uh, which I, I know I didn't need to say that. We don't research. If you haven't figured that out by now. <laughs> yeah. We don't research anything except while we're here live doing the show like – yeah. Uh, that's why there's like 300 million people in new york well, i know there's almost well other than the 19 billion people on manhattan <laughs> island itself but but anyway i i really think that that's you know i'm not sure that this is going to be a funny topic but i think it's worth discussing because this is something that affects so many people and you know over the course of my life you know and i'm a, quite a lot older than you are you know there was a very clear pattern that people followed most people followed in life which is you go to high school and you know and if you're fortunate you go on to college and you get some degree in something and then you go get a job working for some corporation and then you work there for many many years and you retire and you have a retirement plan and you get paid a pension and you buy a cottage up north if you live like where I live or you buy a condo in Florida or you yep. do something like that and that's your life. And that has been um, over the course of, let's say, the last 30 to 40 years, that's been decimated. That's like that is absolutely true. Yeah. And so uh, with that being said, you know, what what does that leave what what what's what's the landscape like now? Because what my my take on it, and you know, we've never talked about this, so I have no idea what you think. My take on it is, this is what's led to the, you know, the explosion of entrepreneurialism, and also oh the, yeah, the gig economy, it, and also the you know the the um the the decimation of the middle class, and the fact that you know the polarization, the economic polarization of our society, where you got a bunch of people that make a lot of money and you got a bunch of people that are basically borderline, you know, Destitute. food stamps. Yeah. yeah. Food stamps recipients. Yeah. And that that middle group is just getting smaller and smaller all the time. And I don't think any of that's in dispute. It's just like what now? <laughs> yeah, this is so okay. So I got a whole bunch of thoughts about this. So my I'm I've been thinking and writing a lot about this lately because I really want to do the uh, I really want to do my sh I'm trying to do Edinburgh again this year, the Fringe Festival, and I want to do my whole show about work and I just want to call it work. And it, it so I've been thinking about this a lot because everybody I know has a side hustle. Everybody I know is I mean, everybody I know, with the exception of a very small number of people, they are they do they have a day job, they have a main gig and then they have. So one to three side gigs that they all do and some of it is like i have a business and it's like catering and i cater something on a couple of weekends a month or i i'm also i do a i have a dog sitting service or i or i'm uh you know i'm a guest bartender at a couple of different pop-up shows around the city or i just everybody has this thing and it's super weird because it feels like that at, 
that's every single person I know. Everybody's driving Uber or everybody's walking dogs on WAG or everybody's on TaskRabbit or like all of these marketplace apps that let you clock in whenever you want to go do a handful of different odd jobs on the side in order to to make some extra money. Very few people I know just go like, yeah, I work at an office and I go into work at nine and I leave at five. Like nobody does. Even the people I know who go to work at offices don't work nine to five. Like working nine to five would be like a fucking vacation for like most of the people that I know. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And like we've just this is like the economy that we've entered is everybody is super freaking busy all the time and they're working all the time. And most of the people I know, because I know comedians do a ton of work for no money. And let me just throw out a handful of before the before the 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 uh, the casual baby boomer listener begins rolling their eyes at this millennial talking about how he's doing all this work for no money. And and you're like, well, that was, you know, there's virtue in work and all this stuff. I just want to throw a handful of stats at you. Over the last two years, I've done uh, dozens and dozens. I don't even know how many episodes, but probably close to 100 episodes of my podcast. And I've interviewed some actually famous people. And I've made zero dollars doing it. I've never been I've never been offered any money. I've never asked for any money, admittedly, but I've I've spent hundreds of hours, hundreds working on that podcast and never gotten a dime for it. Now, that's like the and these are going to increase in my level of frustration with the marketplace. The second is that I've done thousands of hours of stand up comedy and I will I mean, plead with club owners or people who book shows to pay me in anything but drink tickets. Like it's it's unbelievable. Like you, if you do, you're lucky if you got paid even 20 bucks for doing any. I did a show the other day, I did 25 minutes on stage. I made ten dollars. Like and and I was happy. I was like, thank Jesus, I'm getting anything for this show. Like that happens regularly. And I've been doing like my uncle said, stand up for you know almost 18 years and. That's just normal. That's just the world that comedians operate in. The next level is I've written hundreds of articles for Quora.com, Q-U-O-R-A.com. I'm actually one of the top writers in both sales and marketing categories. I've written articles that have literally been read millions of times. Uh, I think I think I have something like seven million overall reads. I guarantee you that there are professional writers who work for professional outlets that don't get read that many. They have articles that I've written that have gotten read literally a million times. And that doesn't happen with people who are probably working at periodicals that we could name off and, and know the names. Uh, and I've never seen a dime of any, any of that. I've never gotten paid for any of that stuff. Um, that's the world that we exist in now for most people. Uh, you can have tons of videos on YouTube. You can have tons of hours of recordings of yourself on SoundCloud and on Apple podcasts and all over the place. And all you're ever doing is shoveling out your own time, energy, and mostly money to try to get stuff into the ether and receiving nothing from it. That's, that's the way the economy now works. And not only does it work that way, but it's getting more difficult. I can sense you maybe wanting to respond to this uncle Mike, but let me just note a couple of other things here. Not only is that getting, I take your time. Yeah, not only is it getting more that way, but it's getting more difficult for people to even operate in a way that would allow them to uh, try out new things in order to try and figure out if there's a place for them to make money. And by that, I mean 
all of the spaces that you would need to go to in order to try something out, let's say YouTube, let's say um, medium.com, let's say any of these places are now privately owned, they're private platforms. And the way that people discover things on them is through algorithms that other people own and design. And the way that you, you know, the, so the, the, to give you an example of what I'm talking about, NBC, uh, the network, decided to create a social media uh, news show. And the head of news at NBC gave a talk at the New York Television Festival that I went to in 2018. Uh, and in it, he basically said directly to everybody in the room that he was like, you cannot organically grow your YouTube channel, period. I'm sorry. That's just the way that it is. He's like, you can get to a certain number of views, and after that, you're going to have to pay for views. That if, especially if you're a big brand, you're going to have to pay because YouTube can switch off traffic to your channel, switch off these things in your algorithm, and you're going to have to pay to open it back up. Like, that's just the way that they are. They own that channel. And that's how it's going to work. And I thought to myself, fuck, if the head of news, digital news at NBC is telling me this, what chance do the rest of us have? You know, that's that's one thing. I think the second thing is that so many of these large corporations just outside of the Internet have so much capital and money that it's very difficult for anyone else to compete with them. Let me give you an example. So I'm in the middle of uh, trying to do I'm doing this project in Chicago with a couple of uh, friends and we're calling it 20 by nine. We want to do 20 minutes on stage a night for nine months. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of work because I don't get booked that much. So I have to basically create from scratch all the shows that I want to do all around the city every, every day. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of planning. It's talk, it's communicating with a ton of bars. Um, I created a list of basically 200, different potential venues all in in north side of chicago and messaged all of them wow <laughs> yeah it was, it was crazy and uh because i'm a crazy person and i'm like yeah i want to do 20 minutes on stage a night let's just do this this is what this is going to look like so we just kicked it off we had our first show on wednesday um and coming up on the next show i mean we're we're getting rolling but it's going to be 20 minutes a night anyway where i'm going with this is a number of those bar owners got back to me and they said, hey, I don't know if you know, but the city of Chicago actually just in 2020 passed a entertainment license. So you you have to actually get an entertainment license in order to have any entertainment at your bar now. You can't you can't just go, hey, we're going to have an open mic and have people show up and do poetry and comedy and play guitar you you actually can't do this actually illegal in the city of chicago if you bring a guitar to a bar and you start playing it they actually have to ask you to stop because you're technically breaking the law for that bar that's the way that it works and the problem is that that license if you want it is 500 dollars a month in the city of chicago oh my god the only places that can afford that properly are basically corporate owned places so unless you're tgi fridays applebee's chick-fil-a fucking any of these places that have a big corporate brand and tons of cash you're basically pushing out every small business owner 500 dollars a month is a lot to a small business owner and it's crazy to think about that 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 in addition to anything else i mean you you really gotta start doing the math can i can i support getting an roi of 500 a month in order to have 
entertainment in or risk breaking the law. I mean, that's it's, it's insane to think about that. In addition to all the other licenses that somebody in the city of Chicago needs to run a, a business like a bar. It's it's total madness. And the, all of these things stacked up together are basically like, look, if you're just an individual, good luck, man. You can you you can you you are gonna have to uh, prostitute yourself to every single place that you can on the internet to try to make any money doing anything. Let me give you another example. Um, this is the one that I'm potentially the most frustrated at. So I have uh, four online courses that I've created. Uh, all of them are almost five stars. They're on Udemy and Skillshare. Uh, one of them is how to do stand-up comedy. The other three are basically sales-related. I've had a whole career in sales. Uh, you know, sales development, opening up doors that are otherwise closed and getting conversations going with people who otherwise don't want to talk to us. Um, that's basically what my sales career has been. And those courses are top sellers. They're best sellers on those platforms. People really like them. Apparently I'm an engaging host. I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but that's basically the idea. And the frustrating thing about it is Altogether, the best selling, I mean, 3,000 people signed up for my cold emailing course in the first week it was out. That wow. course has, yeah, that course has altogether made about $25, even though it's got that many people signed up to it. How is that possible? It's just possible because you, because when you, when you're, if you want to upload, unless you want to go to a, a platform like Thinkific, where you run your, you have to run all your own marketing. If you want to get onto a platform that has traffic, the deal you're making with them is we will do whatever we want with your course in order to get people into it. And then we'll pay you whatever deals we end up making with them. So I uploaded that course and Udemy was like, well, we're just going to make it free for this whole number of people who we think are going to like it. And then they did. So it, it basically, if I had wanted to run this course myself out of a, you know, just, just upload this shit and then try to sell this thing myself. I could do that. And the, um, the point I'm making is not that this is impossible, but it's like, uh, you know, that's a whole lot of skills that somebody has to have. And a lot of time and effort putting it into one place. Like it's, it's strange to me that in the way, in the gig economy that we live in, it's like, Hey, you're a great course creator, but you don't know anything about, you don't know dick about digital marketing. You don't know anything about online advertising. You don't know anything about keeping traffic. You don't know anything about making offers. You don't have any payment processing software, any of this stuff. So we're going to do that for you. You create the course, and then we're just going to pay you whatever the hell we feel like, basically. And that's essentially the deal that a lot of these, and that's not just you to me. That's the deal that a lot of these places are uh, make with people who are content creators. And it, that's it. We're all... You know, we're like a, it's like an episode of Black Mirror. Like we're all running on a treadmill, powering somebody else's company because they own the entire means of production. That's it. We're, we're it's 1880, and we're all dealing with the railroad. Well, you you said a whole lot of stuff there, and um, I I uh, I think that was interesting. I think it was accurate. I've personally had a lot of experiences that parallel. Uh, things that you mentioned there, not not all of those things, but as you know, I've created courses on Udemy as well. Oh yeah, and and so I have some insight into that. Uh, and you're right about that. That's that is how that works. And it, it's funny because when when you said that you wanted to talk about, you know, how does anybody make money doing money anything? Doing anything. Before, <laughs> the the first thought I had was, you know, I think what's the common denominator in 
not everything you said there, because, for example, the uh, having to get an entertainment license in Chicago would not apply to what I'm going to say next. But about everything else is is what's the common denominator? And the answer is technology. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, as you know, uh, because you and I have have put in real work to actually potentially start a business that is still something that's sort of percolating out there um, that is predicated on this, you know, is predicated on technologies. And, and I have made a living in part from leveraging technology and a couple of other different things that I've done that have been successful. But the older I get and the more I see and the more I hear people say things like you just said, and what you just said was probably the most, you know, comprehensive and compelling summary of these things I've ever heard from anyone is technology is really destroying a lot of people economically. And again, this mm. goes back to what I said about the polarization that, you know, whoever owns Udemy is probably a multi multi-millionaire because, you know, not only are they dictating terms, but they're taking uh, as much, if not more of the profit as they're giving you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And if you don't like it, leave. Yep. And when there's enough people out there like you just described, which is most people, which is, you know what, I think I, I know a lot about a topic. And I think that I can communicate effectively on that topic. I think I can teach people a lot of stuff. And I've got, you know, I got a, I have a video recording capability of some variety, which at this point, even an iPhone is more than enough for that purpose. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody has the basic tools to create that content, but not necessarily to monetize it because creating, you know, there's just so much more to uh, success in business than the creation of a solid product, something that you and I discussed very recently. And I, and I think my preface at the time was, and I, and I know I told you this before I said, you know, the, the single most powerful piece of advice I've ever received in business. And this is from a guy who is the single most successful person I've ever met. Who's a New York times bestseller who has, is the number one, um, trends analyst and author and speaker in the entire real estate industry, in my opinion, in the world, uh, and who is who who has made a lot of money and deserves it because he's just so brilliant. He his name is Stefan Swanepoel. And he said this to me. He said it uh, making a quality thing is 20 percent of the game. Mm. Being able to market it and sell it is 80 percent of the game. And so for someone like me who, you know, that that even to this moment and I heard and that advice was given to me probably a decade ago. Yeah. I still I still react to that thought. Like I have a real reaction like are you kidding me? Like that to me seems so unfair and illogical because I grew up I guess being honest with myself naively thinking, oh yeah, if I build a better mouse trap, people will buy it. Oh nope. yeah, dude. No, nope. dude. People don't give a shit. Like I start. So this. So this is a good example because this is the. I mean, you've. It's funny because I thought about you the other day because I released that cold emailing course and it immediately started getting a lot of re good reviews. People were picking it up. Um, you know, which is why Udemy started pushing it because they do this with new products. And like as much as I talked about how much I hate and I was like it's bullshit. Three thousand people signed up and they're not paying me any money. It's like. 
that's they know what they're they know what works like the long the tail on that is long and getting more people to sign up now because they saw that it was getting good reviews is going to lead to more money for me later but i think it is also frustrating that there's like i'm not making any fucking money 3000 people signed up like that's kind of that's just the world you live in now because you can create something great and no one's going to pay you for it basically i think that's frustrating anyway to get back to the main point of this um as soon as it started unseating other courses that were also talking about cold emailing. Mine was like almost five star reviewed. I suddenly started seeing a whole bunch of one star reviews showing up that were saying like this, here are the problems with this course. And they were all just generic bullshit that were not real problems with the course. Like this is an unengaging uh, course instructor. There's no fucking way. <laughs> Right. That I am an unengaging course instructor. Like you just you'd have to be on fucking bath salts. So I I I so I messaged you to me and I was like, hey, I, I'm going to flag these because look at the rest of these reviews and you can already see where this is going. Basically, Udemy got back in their policies like, well, these look like real reviews to us. We're not going to do anything with them. We're just going to leave them up. But my I really think that somebody's somebody who owns that number one position was afraid that I was going to unseat them and is now paying for people to come and take my course and rate it poorly because they don't want to lose that position. Oh, I, for, I, I absolutely believe that, dude. There's no doubt in my mind because, I mean, I, I don't even think I need to explain. I mean, I think... I think most people who have an education and are aware of the state of the world today, you know, there's this whole, I'm sure you've heard the term astroturfing. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, which is, you know, the, which is a, a take on the expression of grassroots, meaning, you know, like there's grassroots support for this or that and astroturfing you know, fake grass. In other words, you know, people are just being paid um, or they're creating technology that does this via bot or however it works because I never bothered to research it. But, you know, there's just all this, um, you know, you, you can you can pay somebody to basically take out a competitor in almost any context. And mm. and, and when you get to that place, you know, where and, and now we're actually we're, we're, we're starting to drift away a little bit from the, the primary topic. And I apologize for that. But, you know, this just opens the door to all these other things that we could talk about in terms of the way, you know, the media manipulates us. And yeah, so let's not even open that door because we talked about that before. Oh, yeah, totally. But but the principle remains, which is that you're right. I think that I could see somebody even if they're just doing it on their own. I mean, to go set up, you know, 10 fake accounts somewhere and and then go in as that person and just write something awful. Um, you know, the, the, that's what you can do in today's world. And again, that's technology based. Yeah. And so you, that, that just reinforces the point that I was making, which is, uh, you know, I think technology is the common theme and denominator in all of this. And it, it's scary because you're so right that, you know, all the things that you've accomplished there, your Quora and, and 3000 people on Udemy. I mean, I've never, I never had that many people, um, sign up for anything I've created there. And I've only made a handful of dollars. I mean, the the way it went for me was I put a lot of time and effort into doing it. And I quickly realized that even if I were successful selling it, the amount of money I would make would be not enough to justify the efforts that I was making to sell it. And so it's sort of like, you know, it, it was just such a deflating thing because that's what I really wanted to do professionally at one time. Like I thought, Hey, I'm good at this and I can, you know, I'll just make a bunch of courses. I got all these different ideas I want to talk about. I think people will like them. 
And plus, I'm creating all this peripheral content that most people don't create, you know, in terms of like high quality PDFs you can download and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and waste and, and, of time. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And I think not not to not to get too narrow here, but since we've spent this much time talking about things like Udemy and online courses, you said, you know, I could go do my own thing. And, you know, that that's my honest advice is if, to anybody listening is. I spent a lot of time. I've been involved on uh, with a several different groups of people that have made real money with online courses. And one thing I've absolutely learned is that you kind of have to do it on your own. You have to be. You can't really do it on a Udemy or or a competitor like a Udemy. Oh, yeah. You have to do it on your own. You have to do your own marketing. You have to have your own website. You have to do your own promotion. You got to do Facebook advertising. You know things like that and and to to, the, to reinforce the point you already made that's a lot of different hats and so somebody that's good at making you know uh, video instructional courses isn't necessarily going to be good at all those other things but i would say the choice you kind of have to make is do you want to make money or not because if you don't want to make money then go ahead and use a udemy if you do then you're going to have to learn all that other stuff and that's a whole different conversation Dude, it's so real. Like you just have to do all this stuff, which is basically exactly what I'm going to have to be doing. So now I'm uploading things to Thinkific. I'm I'm like What is that? Thinkific is just a platform that allows you to host courses. That's it. It just it gives you a video like basically a video streaming platform that allows you to host courses and you can let people in. It has a handful of things that make it slightly easier to to um you know to interact with uh to interact with like students and stuff and like message them it's it's slightly more stuff than comes with like youtube than the private youtube but basically that's it like and i'm gonna have to try to figure out how to get in front of an audience and all this stuff so now i'm gonna probably have to go pay for facebook ads yep. and all of these things because but that's the thing is it's like there's there's how do you you're you're ever at every turn you're engaging with a major brand somewhere you know what i mean you 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 can't it's a major brand or the government basically in the case of the uh the license right but like well, that's the thing as an individual you're like how do i where what what possible value do i have to offer and it's only in making larger brands more money because they just own all of the space basically well it's like rent seeking behavior basically it's very similar i feel a lot of times when i think about it it sounds like it's like feudal europe or something where like these lords own massive amounts of space and if you want to do anything you got to pay rents to them and that's well, kind of how it feels yeah no i think that's the perfect analogy and that's exactly what it is i mean we're 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 there and not to mention the fact that there is the, the the technology or technology in general has sped up the process that I would I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate this. I would call it that um, basically everything that's good ultimately will get wrecked when the gold rush happens. So basically it's like, oh, oh, my gosh, this is a really cool idea. I can make I can make a course online that can teach people something. And at the start of that process, which now goes back, I'll say a solid decade, if not more, of, you know, that concept. And there was a rush of people into that. And I think 
you know, before things like Udemy got popular and sort of diluted it all, people, you know, people made some decent money off it. Like I said, I was involved in a business that, um, I mean, w- we did really well for a very short period of time. Yeah. And and at the start of it, it was sort of like, oh my gosh, this is like the easiest money in the world. Made this course. We have these webinars. We pay Facebook advertising to push people. We were getting a thousand people. I mean, we had a thousand people showing up for our, the webinars we were doing. I don't want to say consistently because that'd be an exaggeration, but we had over a thousand people show up for multiple webinars. And I'd say on average, you probably had 500. That's not bad. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, that's and, really and, good. And that goes. this goes back five years. So my guess is if I tried to do it right now, it would be much more difficult to do because so many people have rushed into every space that's that makes any money. That, you know, there's sort of like a whoever gets there first, whoever gets there at the right time makes a decent amount of money until other people figure out, oh, there's money to be made over there. Then they come in and, you know, and then they undercut you on price and they rip off your material and they copy it. And suddenly, you know, you've got competition that didn't exist before. And not only that, but then you've got factors like Facebook's changes, advertising policy, which has really affected the advertising that I do for my real estate business, where – before the most recent round of changes, the level of specificity that I could use for advertising in terms of demographics and interests. And, you know, literally I could say, I only want college educated people who make more than 200 K a year who live in this zip code, who have, who have articulated an interest in real estate, et cetera. I can do that. And now, now, oh my gosh, um, it's so generic, like literally, and I, I haven't spent a lot of time studying this because I became so frustrated so quickly. I just wanted to sort of like, oh, okay, I'll just do the best I can within what what seemed to be the new parameters and get the hell out because it's going to upset me greatly to realize how much control I've lost here. But I swear to you, I did a a bunch of advertising just recently on a, a house I have for sale or that I've listed for sale. And I swear one of the parameters I could not alter was basically it's just like 10 miles within this point and uh, between the ages of 18 and 65. It's like those felt like fixed parameters that in terms of like, wait a minute, I don't want to market this $750,000 house to an 18 year old. Why would I do that? That's just stupid. Yet I didn't find a way not to. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're a YouTube star. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because that's uh, that's another thing where, you know, how many people have rushed into that that concept? Like, I want to be a YouTube star. That's the and number one thing. That is the number one occupation that children in the UK and US say they want to be. Is it is the number number one in China is astronaut, by the way. The number one in the US and the UK is YouTube star. And like, probably the number one in India would be doctor or engineer. Probably. I don't think an Indian parent would let their child answer anything else. But yeah, the it's it's kind of wow. wild because that's that's just the number one thing. Everything has become the everything has be has become like the porn industry. Like you should go check out these documentaries. Uh, uh, they're called porn. I don't know if you've seen them. No, they're <laughs> they're. <laughs> I've heard of it. There are these there's a bunch of documentaries like Life After Porn. Um, I've, I've seen several. 
Yeah, like I, it's I'm I've been t- totally fascinated with this industry, which is why I like talking to porn stars on the podcast. I think that there's something, there's a real crossover between comedy and porn. There's a, I could go into it, but there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of things that I think make make them both kind of fascinating. Um, and and people believe that the roots of comedy come from the roots of sexuality. There's like a real strong desire for fertility that comes from from the original word in the ancient greek um I, I could nerd out about this for a while but the thing that's interesting to me about this though in terms of of like why nobody makes any money is that like porn has this does this constant thing to women who get into it which is that it's constantly on the prowl for the next hot young chick and if she gets into porn she's either going to be churned out right away like she's going to film a whole bunch of stuff and then people are going to get bored or she has to like change her body. So she's getting implants. She's changing her hair. She's getting like butt implants. She's changing her body in one way or another. Like she's getting super fit or she's gaining weight to become like in the B- BBW scene or she's doing crazy shit. Like she's doing gangbangs or she's doing, you know, whatever. Like it, it just like it, her career, she goes from being like, young Mia Malkova who'd like just started to like now she's doing like uh some crazy shit that she wasn't even planning on doing that's now all of us all of us are now in that position which is like you have to contort yourself in so many different ways or you have to constantly keep reinventing yourself we're all now in the position of porn stars or like celebrities who have to do this stuff all the time that's that's now all of us nobody Nobody can just do something and have a career doing it. It has to be a constant churn of new stuff. Like you, this is very interesting. Somebody said this to me recently because I interviewed at this job in New York. Um, I was telling him like, well, I'm a number one top read uh, writer on Quora in both sales and marketing. I've got these online courses and all this stuff. And somebody said, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool to hear that. We had somebody in here interviewing the other day who didn't really have any articles that they had published on LinkedIn. And we were like, how come you didn't publish any articles on LinkedIn? Like, don't you care about developing your brand or don't you have something to say? And it's weird because it's like, dude, you're in sales. We're not fucking writers. We're not journalists. Like we're not wandering around doing all this other stuff, but that's now the world we live in. If you don't have those accoutrements around you, you just aren't gonna, people don't take you seriously at all. Like if you're a comedian and you don't have a podcast, like fuck you, you just do, all you do is tell jokes. Like, that you should be doing more stuff. That's the way the marketplace looks at you now. Yeah, and what's what's you know I completely agree with you. And what's sad about that, or maybe that's not the right term, but I don't have a better term, is that we can make these investments in things like okay, Cora, Cora's cool. I, I you know I want to get into that, and then you you invest all this time doing it, and and the, some new platform will rise up and usurp that at some point. And, yeah. and, yep. and I don't, I don't mean, I'm not using that as an actual example. I'm saying it just because you just said it, pick anything, you know, you can make this major investment, let's say in Udemy and yeah. then something else comes along and suddenly Udemy is obsolete and all Let the me time. Give you th- four examples right now, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram. They're all, uh, I mean, all of those things are a cascading series of social uh, platforms that people may, you, you, you created at one time, a group that was self-sustaining in Facebook. It may still be there. I don't know, but it is okay. But, but I would be willing to put money on the fact that that's because most of the people who are in that group are between the ages of 40 and and 60. Probably I could be yeah, wrong, they but 
They are. Yeah. So that that's a good example. If you want a if you want to lock down a demographic like and and I mean, and that's just, by the way, just the twist of fate in terms of how technology has worked for that group. But if you are trying to create create a brand rather than already had created one and then have a space for it, you 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 got to be on all of these fucking platforms and and people just shift from one to the other. Like, it's crazy to think about that. People who Jake Paul was famous on Vine. Vine got shut down. Now he's on YouTube. Now he's shifting again to TikTok because that's where everybody's going. And TikTok oh, really? is a, TikTok is essentially just uh, the same thing as Vine now. Right. Like it's right. it's crazy how these things have worked. And and the next and there's going to be a new you know Snapchat was Instagram. Then Instagram overtook Snapchat. Now everybody does stories. Facebook does stories. Instagram does stories. Snapchat does stories. TikTok arguably is stories, but this they're all the same thing, but people just shift around on them all the time. And the problem is that all of those brands are actually owned by Facebook. Like Facebook owns a ton of that stuff. So well, that's a that's a separate point you're, to, to the point you made prior to that last point. You're totally correct. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I went from being someone that just was obsessed with and lived on social media to a to a very dangerous and unhealthy level and i mean that literally i mean i was just on it all the time i was on it probably significantly more than you ever have been because uh i was just i just loved it i i it was fantastic i mean it was like this is great because i i can create a lot of content i write well and so this is just tailor-made for me but then what i realized is like after i made this major investment in twitter which i did and had a, you know a lot of success with that one could argue at the end of the day i realized that well you know i really need to be spending more time on facebook because i had sort of neglected it and argued that twitter was quote better than facebook which looking back on it i laugh at that like yeah. better let's say chocolate's better than vanilla i mean it's just a matter <laughs> of opinion yeah. but anyway the point is uh, here's here's what i sort of learned is that you can't be great at every platform. Yeah, no way. And that that thought alone almost ruined the whole thing for me because it's like, okay, wait a minute, if that's true, and it is, if that's true, then what do I invest my time in? And secondly is, how do I invest time in something, even if it is the hot thing right now, when I know for a fact, based on what I've already seen, that there's going to be something else that comes along like this was before Snapchat existed, you know, and several other of these new platforms, certainly before a TikTok and other things I can't even think of before they even were were even conceived. So when you know that there's another thing out there on the way, whether it's in a year or two or five, you know, it's coming. You oh, just yeah. don't know what it is. How can you how can you invest in anything full force? And I think the answer to that is. The people who can do that are the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world who have established a company and a team. You know, he has a team of people who basically their sole purpose in life is to take what Gary does and turn it into. I believe I saw uh, he put out some he puts out the most fascinating stuff. He put out this like little tutorial on how to take a single piece of content and turn it into like 70 pieces of content. I think it was 70. Mm. Mm. Something insane like that because he has a team of people who that's all they do. Yeah. You know, he's he gets filmed basically every waking moment. And then he's got this team of people that 
you know, create small, short run, you know, short video, long form video, um, everything on Twitter and Facebook and wherever else he is. And he's and interestingly, he's a guy who and I'm sure you've made this observation about him as well. He's a guy that's just diving on on everything that's new. You know, wh- whatever's coming next, he's in it. Yeah. Like he does not sit back and say, well, I want to wait and see if that gains momentum. His whole philosophy, I sort of figured out, and maybe he said this and I just didn't catch it. I think his his whole philosophy is I'm going to be everywhere and I'm going to lead in every environment and in every context because that way I can't lose. Yep. And I'm going to invest a ton of time and money doing that. But it's the only way he can guarantee himself to maintain his position. His position. Yeah. Dominant. He's got to be constantly on. I mean, that's that's his brand, too, is he's just a maniac. Like yep. and he oh, he's incredible. Yeah. And he has the ability to like to do that stuff. And I mean, it's it's just strange because I think like you, you know, I mean, obviously, this is the problem we're all in. Obviously, I can feel like people listening to this going like, well, that's why you got to commit to like what's you know, what does Seth Godin say? He's like, commit to the small, do the opposite of what everybody's doing. Think about how do I instead of going quickly, how do I think about going slowly instead of trying to get to a large audience? How do I think about how do I please the smallest number of people? Like, it's funny, though, because you think like I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think there is, too. I mean, he's not like I've read all his I've read his books, you know, lately. This is marketing and uh, the purple cow and like all his, you know, the unleash the idea virus or whatever his his other one was that came out like a decade ago. But like he's not wrong about these things. But what's weird about it is you're like, well, that's that's really that shit is really easy to say. But we're, we're in a. We're in a pool of people and everybody is attempting to try to swim to the top and we're 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 constantly everybody's constantly shifting. It's like it's a crazy thing to do, especially when you find yourself in this environment of and I think the more difficult thing is I just uh, I'm having a lot of thoughts. So I'm sorry if I sound like I'm rambling or like free associating. But like one of the things that I think is difficult about this is that the skills that you have don't are not commensurate with the things that are happening around you, if that makes any sense. Like, like I said earlier, your ability to get your, like you, like Stefan said, like your ability to get a successful course and make money online by teaching a course on X is not, is only 20% of your knowledge of X, which means that there's an entire world in which there's tons of bullshit that is succeeding because people have another skill that is different basically. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the common denominator in all of that is the, the sales and marketing part, which is something that, it, well, you happen to be good at that, but still, it's still an entirely different discipline and, and mindset and skill set from creating content that people want to absorb. And, you know, one thing that um, to sort of just to add one comment to what I said a minute ago about Vaynerchuk, because I, this was sort of what I should I should have ended with and just did, on that point and just didn't think of it is his Vaynerchuk's entire mission is to go where the attention is. Yeah. Where the eyeballs are, I believe is how I've heard him say it. Like if people are on this new platform, then that's where I'm going to be because that's where the people are, because I am in the business of attention. Yeah. I want to the garner the economy. The, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. And, and that is a, that probably is it worthy of another entire podcast because that's where, you know, the rush into all these platforms, the fact that all these people who are your competitors are gaining all this knowledge and skill sets and, you know, they keep learning just like you keep learning. 
and it's sort of like the law of diminishing returns and that everybody's getting more knowledgeable and more skill. And the problem with that is that it's supply and demand that while while we're collectively gaining all of this knowledge, we're also we're inherently cutting down our competitors and by virtue of that, our own ability to make money from those things Yeah, because everybody's learning it and everybody's doing it. And like, you know, it's ironic. The podcast thing is I have so I've on probably 10 different occasions in the past month, I've seen somebody that I know on Facebook, like posting, this just happened yesterday, posting like four photos on Facebook saying, this is going to be, you know, like the header for my new podcast that I'm launching. Which do you like best? And oh, yeah. Like, you know, we've reached e- peak podcast. <laughs> four ego-driven photos of somebody, you know, like folding their arms and smiling and, you know, like in, like standing in front of Mount Everest that's superimposed <laughs> behind them or some shit like that. And they're, it's like, who doesn't have a podcast? And all oh, the irony of saying who doesn't have a podcast on a yeah. podcast. But yeah. the truth of the matter is we started this podcast <laughs> Four years ago oh, and, yeah. had, and had an insane amount of success with it. And then for a variety of reasons, just sort of let it go. And now we're back at it because I think we both realized that it, it had so much viral success without us really doing anything that it was like, what are we doing? We had this thing that worked and we didn't really put that much effort into it. And why the hell aren't we still doing it? And so here we are. But, you know, and but and I do realize it's, it's hypocritical to say, you know, look at all these idiots starting podcasts when we have one, but we didn't just start this. And it's just funny because I, I'm not joking. I've seen like five or six people that I know have started podcasts in the past like month. And it's like, who doesn't have one now? Oh yeah. We've, we're definitely a peak podcast, man. I mean, that's the fact that I have three, this one, my own one, which I've done for, you know, two, almost, like two and hey, some change years. What's it the called? Ma- the madness continues. Uh, and that's, uh, I, and, and really that one is just an excuse for me connecting with people and having conversations with people who I want to talk with. But, uh, so it's like, I'm not trying to become a millionaire using that one, but then uh, funny planet, which is exploring comedy around the world. And like, I mean, I've got like three of them and I'm, I'm sure other people have a ton of them, but this is just peak podcast and I don't know what's next, but I think probably what's going to happen is a whole bunch of them are just going to crash and people oh, are just will. not going to continue doing they, them. Yeah, they will. Because again, what this comes down to, it's, it's always metrics. And, you know, again, that's why we came back to this because we created some metrics that we couldn't believe. <clears throat> you know, I go back and look at our Facebook page. And it's like, you know, you look at just the number of shares on the stuff that we created. It was just insane. Now, granted, again, as we said before, part of that, I believe, was topically driven, which is the right topic at the right time. But I think it was more than that. And in any event, um, you know, I, I, I think there's another reason to continue to do. I'm not talking about this podcast necessarily, but any podcast, especially one that you have passion for, is the idea of just, you know, being discovered. I mean, that's the truth of the matter is that. You look at a story of someone like a Candace Owens. Oh, yeah. Not that she did a podcast. I don't think she did. I don't really know if she did or didn't. She has one now. She just started. Yeah, of course she did. Of course she does. (laughs) um, But, you know, she just basically was talking about stuff. I still recall the first time I saw anything she did. It was just like some, you know, self-made iPhone video in like a bathroom. And she's just talking about something. And this is basically the same kind of a thing where – you know, you just talk about stuff and maybe somebody just listens in one day and really likes it and says, hey, come and work on my show. I'm doing this on, 
you know, on some cable TV show or something oh, yeah. like that. I mean, if there's always that sort of, you know, win the lottery just because you're out there sort of a thing that um, that's always been a factor for me. You know, there's always been that thought of being discovered or at least being recognized or at least gaining enough momentum to one day monetize it because there are people who do. Hmm. I mean, it's it's uh, the way to get. I, but even the concept of getting discovered, I feel like lately is like is is changing. Like there are definitely people who control opportunities, but I feel like even those people in, in my small foray into entertainment such that it's been. I've learned that like they are terrified. They have no idea what's going on. Like this conversation that you and I are having, there's no group of people who are like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Or like we know yeah. that these the things that the directions that things are moving in, like they're just as confused, yep. if, if, if anything, maybe even more so because they have more money wrapped into the equation than the rest of us. And, and that's why actually it's funny because there's like a, I forget where I read this. I think it might, it might've been in the economist, but like uh, a lot of these huge brands, the ones that I've been complaining about this whole time, uh, have a ridiculous amount of cash holdings right now. Like Google has like an insane amount of cash holdings. Apple does. There's just a lot of different, um, companies that have a ton of cash on hand right now. And part of that reason is because they don't know what's going to happen. And they're concerned because they don't want to make big investments into projects that then turn out to be huge losers because the technology moves one way or another. Um, and nobody saw that coming. Yeah, I, I can, I can totally understand that. In fact, um, I don't know if you ever knew this, but, and you probably, okay. um, <laughs> no, um, but I don't know if you ever, if you probably haven't even heard of the guy's name, but and in fact, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that now that I said that, I don't remember his name. Oh, Brad Horowitz. His name is Brad mm, Horowitz. Mm, mm. He was the head of, the head of Google. Um, what was the name of that social platform that came and went not uh, maybe five years ago? Mm, mm. It, it was it was supposed to rival Facebook. Yeah. You don't, you don't even know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, there was Google. I, I cannot believe I just wrecked the story with not being able to remember the name of it, but... Anyway, it, it was a social platform that was supposed to rival Facebook, uh, and Google had already tried some platform prior to that that had failed, but they were coming back with a new and improved thing. And ironically, this Brad Horowitz, he is a U of M grad and University of Michigan graduate and has some ties to Plymouth, which is where I live. You know, I live yeah. in Plymouth, Michigan, which is just due east of Ann Arbor. Literally, Ann Arbor is a 15-minute drive from where I'm sitting right now. And so, Daisy Air Rifle, capital of the world. That's right. And so, uh, Brad Horowitz posted on on that social platform, whose name I can't remember, uh, that he was coming into Plymouth, Michigan, and he was going to be meeting with whoever wanted to meet with him at the Grand or the Travers Pie Company located on Ann Arbor Road in Plymouth, Michigan, if you know where that is. Yeah. And so I went and I went and I took multiple video cameras and I sat directly across the table from him and I kind of interviewed him and I, I made a video out of it. And at the time I was uh, I was writing for and contributing to uh, the number one news portal in the real estate industry in America called Inman News. And so I made this, you know, completely just just random 
uh, video interview with Brad Horowitz. And you have to understand at the time this was a big deal because it was getting a lot of press and publicity. And and I edited the video to make it look kind of like it was just me interviewing him, even though that wasn't the case at all. Um, And I was like, oh, my gosh, this was like this is. I can't believe that I got an audience with this guy and, you know, and, and ask him all these questions and here are his answers on video. And yeah. it was just really cool. My point simply is that thing vanished to the point where I can't even remember the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> and Google spent, uh, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it crazy to think about? Yeah. Like, that shit is that shit yeah. is nuts, man. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I can totally understand how, you know, the speed at which things are changing and, and rendering things that came before obsolete almost overnight. It, yeah, I think what at, at the end of all this, and this thought has sort of occurred to me as we've been having this conversation, because I've never really focused in on all this stuff in one conversation, mm. is for me, what it kind of comes down to is uh, passion doing what you have a real passion for because if you do that even if you quote don't succeed like you hoped you would you still you had a lot of fun doing it you have real passion for it and the passion will hopefully compel you forward to continue to do it um because it's so easy to give up on things when they feel like they're not succeeding and you know, like I think a perfect example, I'm not saying you're not succeeding, but I'm just saying I'm talking about the passion part. You know, you keep doing stand up comedy, even doing stand up comedy for a very long time. Yep. And I can't picture you ever quitting that. No, I can't think of a life outside of it. And, and yeah. that's finally the thing that I came to about it. Uh, I finally came to the place where I was like, you know what? I just can't. I don't think I, can, I just don't think I could do. I don't think I could do I could not I don't think I could not do it. I couldn't be like living in a position where I'm like if somebody said, "Look, we're going to offer you a million dollars, you can never do stand up again." I'd be like, "Man, I'm never ever." And they were like, "Never. From now until the end of your life when you take this money." I think I'd turn it down. I I I'd be like, "Yeah, no thanks. I I really value this. I don't know what I would do apart from it, you know." And I think that's I think that's really cool because at the end of the day, you know, when we're all laying on our deathbeds, I don't think we're going to think about the money we didn't we made or didn't make for the most part. I think we'll think about the stuff we did that we really enjoyed doing. Yeah. And and so, you know, I hope you keep I hope you keep doing stand up forever because I think it's just a you know, it's just a matter of time. And you look at a guy like Chris Newberg, who we've talked about a bunch of times before, who oh, ironically now has a podcast. Um, of course. <laughs> and he's done. I mean, that dude has done some I mean, he's done something like 160 episodes in what feels like about 80 days. Um, which is not accurate, but that's how it feels. Uh, but, you know, there's a guy who not not to suggest that Chris isn't successful because he is very successful. He does stand up, you know, all over America. He's done it all over the world. You know, he's he's opened for Russell Peters, who, you know, at the time was maybe the number one comic in the in world. In the world. Yeah, he's in the world. Dane Cook, who at the time may have been the number one comic in the world. Uh, he's done stadium tours with these people. So he's had a ton of success, but he hasn't reached the level of a Dane Cook or a Russell Peters. But he keeps swinging. He keeps trying. And, you I know, mean, he's no, had the number one. Uh, oh, yeah. He had the number one. Um, um. Uh, comedy album. Yep. 
Yep. And, and, and I was there. I was at the show. I was at I was talking to him one minute before he took the stage. I talked to him for about 45 minutes, the longest conversation I've ever had with him live. And he he went from talking to me to walking out on stage and recording that show, which was on that album, which was the number one comedy album on. Is it Billboard or what was it? Or iTunes, sorry, not Billboard, iTunes. It was number well, one. Well, I think it was also Billboard, actually. For I think like, he had the number one album on Billboard, yeah, also. Well, I'm not sure what it was, but it was something like those things, and it was for over a year. Mm. I mean, that, yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, um, and he and I, and I know Chris, and basically he's pursuing comedy for the exact same reason that you are. You yeah. Know, it's the love of the game. Yeah, I, love of the game. Trying to fuck young chicks. <laughs> All right. Well, we can edit that out. All right. I feel well, like, yeah, I know. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I sorry I dumped that right at the end of this rather eloquent talk that you gave. <laughs> yeah, that, that that sort of changed the tone and tenor of the, I think the whole podcast, all all hundred and all, all seventy four minutes so far. So um, why don't we end on that note before you go even further off the rails and I have to do even more editing. So uh, (laughs) thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this. We greatly appreciate your support, your listening. And uh, sorry, today today's show was a little more serious than we normally uh, try to be. But I think that was an important topic. And I, I personally enjoyed just having this completely random conversation with you, Brennan, because as always, you. You know, you shared things with me that I hadn't heard before, I hadn't thought about before. And that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy doing this is because you always have a point of view. You're really well read and educated. And um, even though you aren't making any money from doing anything that you're doing, <laughs> I am kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I always enjoy these chats. So um, why don't you sign us off? Yeah, I uh, I just want to toss one thought out there at the end of this. There was I, I hired a while ago, I hired like a business coach. Uh, this is like when I two probably two and a half years ago, and I was like, I really need to start figuring out how to make money doing comedy. And I started talking to this guy, <laughs> and he's a good dude. I won't mention his name, but he told me I didn't it, like just right off the bat. He's like, all right, here's what you need to do. From now on, you're not gonna do any comedy for free anymore. Like you're gonna have to, you're gonna ask someone always. They're gonna have to pay you as little as maybe a dollar. But you're not going to do it for drink tickets. You got to make money doing comedy from now on. That's what needs to switch in your brain. And in my head, I was like, I know, <laughs> I know what you are saying, and I know why you think it sounds like advice. <laughs> but like, that's like saying to a musician, you're never picking up a guitar without taking money for it from now on. You're not. And you're like, okay, welcome to me never doing comedy again. Basically, yeah, not realistic. It's not. <laughs> yeah, realistic just totally unrealistic. Uh, man. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this was a lot of fun to talk, talk through, uh, and, and, and really like wander through a whole lot of different, I mean, like this was a serious episode, but we talked a lot about a, bu- a bunch of stuff that's been top of mind for me lately. So this is really cool. would love to hear your thoughts. Um, make some comments, share this, talk about why you think I'm full of shit or why you think I've got a good point. Uh, why you're going to vote for Trump again in 2020, whatever you want to put on the comments, man, <laughs> you just go ahead and drop it. And, uh, and, and thank you for listening as always. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next time around. Take care. Bye. Bye.